Well, AJ and Mike have helped me out by covering for me the last two weeks. Um, I have been working on schoolwork, and I am uh, I'm this close to having my doctorate work all done, and then I'll be done with school forever in my entire life. So really looking forward to that. Um, but uh, so they, they uh, I really appreciate them uh, covering, me, covering for me for the last couple of weeks. Uh, we have been in our, um, in our series called Ephesians, all right? We've been going through the letter of Ephesians, and uh, I want you to remember, first of all, have you guys been enjoying this? So, okay, all right. Um, it's a good, you know, it's a good book, and uh, Paul, he packs a lot of stuff in there, and uh, we could probably do this for a whole year, but we're going to switch it up in a couple weeks. Um, next week will be the last week uh, in, this, in this letter, but... Uh, you got to remember that Paul, when he's writing this, he's writing it to, to a group of people, a, a church, in uh, this huge Roman city called Ephesus, okay? And these people are being persecuted for what they believe. Because they are Christians, life is harder for them, and people are making uh, their life harder. And, um, and he's writing this as like a survival manual, okay? He's saying, hey, this is what you need to believe. This is how you need to act. This is what you need to do. All right, and the first half of the book is extremely theological. He, I mean, he just, pack, he just crams so much into just a few, you know, just a short amount of words. And, uh, and basically his whole thing is he's, he wants them and he wants us to understand the gospel message about all that Jesus has done. And it's a lot more than just dying on the cross for our sins, okay? It goes a lot deeper than that. He talks about how God, uh, we looked at how God chose us from the create, before the creation of the world and how he, he has picked us and he's, he adopted us into his family and he's po literally pouring out his grace on us and his mercy and his love, love that we can't even understand, his depth, height, width, remember that? Um, you know, I forget all the words that he uses, but you know, the length. He's saying his love is something that we can't even understand, that he loves us so much. And because God has done all of this for us, even though we were messed up, even though we we're all sinners, even though what Paul says, we were dead spiritually, he says because of what God has done for us, all this stuff, stuff we can't even understand, he says in the second half of the letter, he says, this is how you do it, all right? This is how you're supposed to live your life. This is how it impacts you personally. And so for the past Three weeks, I believe, we've looked at different things, practical things that we should do in our life that really changes our life. The first thing we talked about was unity. Here, as, as a, here at Grace, we are a church family, okay? We're supposed to come together as a family. That's how God has created the church, and that's how God has created us. And, uh, and what's cool about us, uniquely, is that we're a new family, um, but uh, we're supposed to come together to, to really reach our community and make an impact in our community. And God has specifically given us special gifts to each one of us who have a relationship with him to make that happen, All right? Gifts that he's freely given to us, and we're supposed to serve in that way. We talked about, uh, Mike, the next week, talked about how we need to, um, when we become a Christian, we need to literally take off our old self and put on our new self. We become another new person. Right? God views us as not the same as, as how we once were. We're alive. Right? We have the Spirit living within us. And then last week, AJ talked about how we need to be imitators of God. How do we live our life? Well, maybe we should look at the example that God has given us, Jesus, and we need to imitate God. Now, this next section that we're going to be looking at today, it's not difficult for us to understand. I think we, we can all get it. It's pretty simple. 
But it's very difficult for us to do, okay, because we are selfish, prideful, every single one of us selfish, prideful people. And, um, and he's going to be talking about uh, authority and, uh, and submission, and, and particularly in relationships, okay? So it's going to get a little complicated, but basically what Paul says is he says, the, first, the way he starts this section off is he says, hey, submit to one another, all right, you guys need to submit to each other. And then he explains what he means by that. And he lists really three different relationships that this submission, all right, a word that we don't like, um, it really plays into. And he talks about the three relationships are, number one, marriage. And this is where he spends the bulk of his, me- of his time on. He talks about that by far the most. Number one, marriage. Number two, children and parents. And number three, he talks about slave and masters. And we'll explain um, what that all means here in just a second. Um, but... Uh, but what I want to do this morning is I want to skip the marriage part, okay, because that's the biggest part, and, and uh, to Paul, that was probably the most important. So we're going to skip it at first. We're going to go to children. We're going to talk about the working relationship after that, and then we're going to come back to marriage and spend the majority of time on that, because I feel like that's probably the majority of what all of us need to hear and struggle with the most. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. That makes sense. Um, let me just say this. The Bible has is really good at smacking you in the face, okay? I don't know if you've realized that yet, but uh, let me just say this, is that the Bible, you know, this is gonna apply to 95% of the people in here because either we're in a working relationship with somebody or we're in a marriage with somebody or we have uh, parents and children, okay? But, um, but, so it's gonna apply to really all of us, but uh, the Bible has this way that it just smacks us in the face, and I got smacked in the face this week. It was like, okay, God, I got it, you know, but uh, that's how it's going to be today, okay? So if this is really harsh, and you're like, I don't like that, we're all in the same boat here, okay? I don't want to do that. I know, none of us do, Um, but this is what God tells us. So it's going to be a smack in the face to us all. Are you ready? Okay, so let's talk about kids first. All right, um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Okay, this is a verse that we've all heard before, probably, I'm assuming. Um, it says, oh, children, okay, we got kids in here. Kids, you're part of the Grace family. This is actually for you. God, God had this for you today. Uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this, obedience, is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may, be, it may go well with you, and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so the first thing he says is, hey, I want you to, he says, first he addresses children. All right, first marriage, but we skipped that part. But now it's, hey, children, okay? Hey, kids. All right, and by the way, kids is from like age zero all the way up until you move out of your parents' house, okay? So if you're in college here and you're like, well, I'm, I'm 20 and, and yeah, I, you know, I don't, no, you count because you're under your parents' roof, okay? If you don't like that, you can move out, right? Your big boy pants on, all right? Oh, man, they got some parents wooing over there, all right? But uh, hopefully your kid's not sitting next to you. But hey, but this applies to you too, okay? Let me just throw that out there. Um, so the first thing he says, you need to honor your father and mother, okay? Honor your father and mother, okay? That, and I've been doing this, I've been talking about this for 10 years, I got this stuff memorized, okay, with kids, uh, but, uh, 
But honor your father and mother is way harder than just obeying. Okay, we need to understand that. It's, it's harder. All right, honoring is obeying with the right attitude. So let me give you an example. Say your mom or dad tells you to take out the trash, okay? Um, and you're like, I don't want to take out the trash. But you do it anyway. You argue back a little bit. But you eventually take out the trash, okay? Stomp your foot, roll your eyes. You say something on your breath you shouldn't have said, something like that. God doesn't look at you when you do that and go, good job, Sally. You obeyed your mom. God looks at you and says, what the heck is wrong with you? Okay? That does, that's not impressive. That is still sin. All right? What we need to do or what we are called to do, all right, or that what kids are called to do is to honor our father and mother, to obey them and obey them with the right attitude, and that is complicated and that's difficult. We all understand that because all of us adults in here, we've all been there. Okay? We all understand. We get it. Okay? Now, for those of us who are adults in here, and let's say we have a family around, let's, we're, we're adults enough where we have moved out of our parents' house, and we're not under their roof or their, in sense, authority anymore. Guess what? This part still applies to us. Honoring our father and mother. Now, notice that he calls out children. Okay, that's just the word he uses for obeying. But here, he, this is kind of more general. He's like, hey, all of you, okay, children, obey. But all of you need to honor your father and mother. Okay, and this is what I know. I know in a group, a group of people this size that there is a bunch of people out here that your relationship with your mom and dad is not good. And I totally understand that in your opinion, half of it's, you know, most of it's probably their fault. And it, maybe it is their fault. But that does not exclude you from what Paul is trying to say here. That is not, does not exclude you from what, Jesus, from what God is, is telling to you here this morning. You are still to honor them. You're still to show respect to them. All right, that's part of it. All right, so he says, honor your father and mother, which, by the way, is the first commandment with a promise. Now, what he's doing is he is going all the way back to, uh, to the Ten Commandments. Okay, we've all heard those before. God's like top ten rules for our life to help us. And, um, and he's saying this happens to be the first commandment with a promise. Now, what's that promise? It's this, so that, it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Sounds pretty good, right? right? This is what God's saying. Hey, this commandment specifically, it comes with a promise. You do this and God's going to bless your life. Right, let me just leave that right there. Next he goes here. He calls out dads, which is kind of funny to me. Right? I think uh, probably dads are worse at this than, than moms, and, but he says, fathers, don't stir up anger in your kids, okay? I think we have, we are prone to do that as dads. You know, we like to, once in a while, it's like we like to stick it, like we're, we're just, you know, almost like we're just making them mad just to make ourselves look better. I don't know how that is, but, uh, well, maybe a little bit, but, uh, but it's like we make them do something, there's not really any point, but just to, just to show them who's boss or whatever. He's saying, fathers, don't do that. All right, don't stir up anger in your children. Now, for you dads, let me say this. This does not mean you don't discipline your kids. Kids don't like that usually, right? They get angry. Oh, so I can't discipline them because they get angry. No, that is not what it means. We know all throughout the scripture, God is very clear that we are supposed to discipline our kids if we love them, all right? God disciplines us. Why? Because, and this is what he says. He says, because he loves us. 
So discipline's important, and I get that they're going to get angry. That is not what he's talking about. He's saying, don't unnecessarily stir up anger in your children. But what are we supposed to do? Instead, we're supposed to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, dads, in a sense, the relationship that your kids have with God is on you, in a sense. He's saying, it's on you. Of course, they're a part of it, and of course, mom is part of it. Sure, you know, sure, she, you know. But, uh, and you can't specifically make that decision for him, but you are responsible as dad to raise up your kids in the Lord, to teach them what the Bible says, to teach them how God wants them to live their life. That's on you. That's on me. All right, it's not necessarily on mom. It's not, they're not supposed to fend for themselves. No, you are to instruct them and train them up. Now, what's that mean? First of all, there's some easy practical stuff for you to be able to understand to, to, to make this happen. Number one, you gotta get your kids here to church. All right, it's important. Right? It's, it's very important. This is what God's telling us. Right? We got a great children's ministry. Right? They're over there in the hangar right now doing whatever they do, probably playing with blocks and eating a snack, or I don't know what they do. But uh, they're having a lot more fun over there than, than we are over here, let's be honest. But uh, especially today with what we're talking about. But, uh, but bring them here. Right? If, you're, if you have a, a, a student in grades 6 through 12, get them here for, to fuse on f- Sunday nights. It's at uh, 5 o'clock. That is super important. That's on you, Dad. It's not on Mom. It's not on them. That's on you. It's on you, Dad, to make sure that they understand that God is number one, that God is more important than sports, that God is more important than schoolwork. That God is more important than a job. That God is more important than band or you know, whatever they might be into. God's the most important, number one. And they should, they should not only hear that from you, but they should also see that modeled in your life. They should hear you pray. They should know that you are getting in God's word, that you're trying to grow deeper in your relationship with God, that that is important to you. That's on you, Dad. All right, children's done. We'll move on to the next one. It's like three sermons in one. This, I wish we could do three weeks of this, but, but we can't. So that was one we make, went super quick. Next, he talks about the working relationship. He says, slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Now, There's something we got to understand here right off the bat, and that is that our culture, slavery for us, because we're here in the United States and we dealt with this in our in our past. um, This is an extreme racial issue, okay? But for the majority of human history, this is not a racial issue at all. all When Paul is writing this, he does he's not thinking about one race above the other race. That's not how people uh, did it back then, particularly in this area. Um, people were really slaves because of two reasons. Uh, one, it was a nationality thing, right, which was, hey, ro- a country comes and takes over your country, and they make you all slaves, right? And in that case, in Paul's time, this was Rome, because Rome owned everybody, right? There's a Roman Empire. And so Rome would go take over a country and, and, and turn what, how, whoever they wanted, however many they wanted, into slaves. That's just how it worked. 
But then you could also, as a free person, you could also sell yourself into slavery. And people did this all the time back then. Okay, if you needed money or you were in some major debt, some major financial issue, what you could do is you could sell yourself into slavery to to pay off that debt or to do whatever you need to do financially. Okay, and so slavery back then, this was a real part of their culture. And if you were walking down the street, it's not like you could tell, oh, that's a slave, that's a slave, that's not. You couldn't tell who was who. Slaves back then had, had, some of them had high class jobs for their masters. This was their culture. So this is what Paul has in his mind as he's writing this. Now, let me point this out. Paul is not saving, Paul is not saying that slavery is okay. It's not what he's doing. He's not condoning it. He's not saying, oh yeah, no, that's all good. It's not what he's saying. What Paul is doing is he is understanding the reality that slavery is a thing. And in Ephesus, the particular city that he's writing to, he's got, there are slaves coming to Christ right and left, which is a great thing. And they're like, I don't know how we're supposed to live our life. I'm not even a free man. I don't even have freedom. And so he's writing to them. Now today, I think, obviously we don't have slavery here in our country today, in our, in our society, in our culture. But uh, uh, today, how this applies to our life is really the working relationship. That is what Paul is really talking about. <clears throat> talking about, And he's going to talk about slave or free in a, in a second. He's going to say, hey, this isn't just for slaves, it's just for free people. But, um, but it's the working relationship. It's when we're working at our jobs. All right, so this is for us today. I want us to, to read these next few verses that we're about to read into this context of my working relationship at work. So this is what he says. Don't work only while being watched. It's kind of funny, right? We, who does this once? I mean, your boss comes in the room and you're like, oh, I got to get to work. Got to look busy. We do this, right? Come on, people. I'm not asking for names and numbers here. I'm just, or where you work. I'm just saying, at least admit it. All right? Don't work only while being watched. We haven't changed for 2,000 years. As people pleasers. Okay, your boss walks in, you start, oh, I got to get to work. Oh, I've been working like this. You're acting like you've been working like super hard all day. All right, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your hearts. Okay, he's saying, hey, don't act like you're just, you know, don't just work only when the boss comes in and then you slack off. Don't do that. That's not good. That's not okay. God looks at that as sin. He's saying you need to work hard as if you are working for God himself. All right, pretty understandable. He says, serve with a good attitude. Hard to do sometimes. I know some of you guys struggle with this. As to the Lord and not to people. Knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, so let me put this into context. Supervisors, managers, or bosses, treat your employees the same way without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. He's saying, hey, employees, managers, supervisors, bosses, or employers, managers, supervisors, bosses, he's saying, hey, you need to treat your employees right. Imagine that. (laughs) You need to treat your employees right, right, without threatening them. And in the back of your mind, you need to remember that you both work for God. 
You guys both work for God. That God looks down at both of you. He doesn't show favoritism to one or the other. He looks both, down at both of us, and, or both of you, and he's saying, hey, you guys are equal to me. You guys are equal. Now, does that mean you don't tell them what to do? Of course not. Does that mean you don't lead them, you don't direct them? Of course not. But we need to, as supervisors and managers, we need to treat our employees right. All right. Sermon two done. Ready for the next one? Now we're going to go back to marriage. And marriage is uh, complicated. Now, let's take, down, take a trip down memory lane to our first weeks of marriage. Wedding day. It's fun. A little stressful, all right? A little stress, I know, especially for, for ladies or moms of the bride. I don't know. But at least it was in our house. But maybe I shouldn't have said that. I don't know. Kate's not here today, so I could say whatever I want. But uh, she's in Washington. She's visiting her brother. But anyway, um, but uh, it could be a little stressful, and um, and we totally understand that. But but think about the first few weeks of marriage. It's new. It's fun. It's exciting. All right, everybody's meeting expectations. You're not standing sitting there with your with your wife or your husband saying, "Man, you know, I think I made a mistake." All right, usually, okay, maybe some of you. I don't know, but uh, you're not thinking about how much the other person bothers you. You're not thinking about how much you want out, right? And let's be honest, when we are dating, we are completely fake, okay? We don't show them the real us, not really. Right, sure, we get, to grow, we get to know each other a little bit better, but we are like tiptoeing, we want them to like us. Really good. I remember um, when Kate and I, and I told this, I've actually, I told this to, to I told this story in Fremont, um, but uh, but I remember when we first started dating, we were going out for a picnic or whatever. I'm sure that was her idea, not mine. And, uh, and so we, uh, we stopped by, like, Walmart. She got some, like, peanut butter and jelly sandwich stuff or whatever. And we uh, went to this park that was real close. Went, and this is in Virginia. Went up on top of this hill and sat there. And she uh, started making these sandwiches. Now, for me, I'm not a peanut butter and jelly guy. All right? I'm just not. Um, if I'm going to eat a sandwich, you know, like, I'm going I'm to skip the jelly. It's only going to be peanut butter. Anybody else like, like me on that? Peanut butter only? Okay, like six. Well, at least I'm not alone, but I am definitely over number, you know, more of you jelly people. But I don't like it because, think about it, the jelly gets all soggy, it soaks into the bread. It's not, I'm not, who wants that? All right, not me. But anyway, um, so I'm only peanut butter guy. So, but I, it doesn't really matter that much. Anyway, so Kate, she starts making these sandwiches, and I'm like sitting there, I'm like, ah, oh, she put jelly on it, but whatever. You know, I like her, and I want her to like me, so we're good. And I start eating it. I think she made me at least two of them. And I ate the first one, and I'm like full, you know what I mean? And we're just like, I don't really want this next one. And then I ate like half the second one. I'm like, yeah, I'm done, okay? And so what I, I was like, I got to get rid of this sandwich. And so we're sitting up there on this hill. There's nobody else around in the middle of nowhere, this huge, like, park place, and, and I was like, hey, Kate, what's that? I'm not even pointing at anything, maybe a bird or something, and she, like, looks over, and I f- took the sandwich, and I threw it as hard as I could behind me. <laughs> now, it's important when you throw stuff, you need to know where to release, you know, <laughs> and so my goal was, I'm going to throw this as far back as I can. It'll be way out of sight. Instead of doing that, I released wrong. That caused me some issues later. And I, I threw it as high as I could instead of as far as I could. And it was all behind me. And I didn't know because it was all 
out of my view. And so um, I threw it, and then Kate eventually looks back, and uh, like 10 feet away, this like sandwich just flies out of the sky and lands on the ground. <laughs> she was giving me a hard time about that. I'm like, yeah, I don't like peanut butter and jelly. Sorry. Um, but yeah, we're, we're fake to each other. We like to hide. I'm like trying to hide this stupid thing from her. Now, let me introduce you. Okay, this is going to get super complicated here in just a second. Um, let me introduce you to, let's just say, Mr. and Mrs. Mug. All right? I got to get creative to explain things to you guys. Try to bring it down to, well, never mind. Anyway, so Mr. and Mrs. Mug. Think about it. When they're dating, this, is, this represents you and me, married people. When they're dating, they're super careful with each other. They're going this way. They're going that way. They're hanging out with each other. They're best friends. They become best friends. But they don't, they don't want the other person necessarily know all the messed up stuff that's inside. We, ha- we like to hide that stuff from each other. That's okay. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's reality. You know? and, um, but then they get married. Okay? They say their I do's. Everything's all good, and, uh, and the first few weeks of marriage is fun, okay? You're friends. Everything's, everything's great. But then what happens? One person or the other, usually in my relationship, it would have been Kate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, we bump each other. And what happens? Stuff comes out, right? Stuff comes out. And... You know, he's looking at her, and he's just like, whoa, I didn't know that was in there. And she's looking at him, and she's like, whoa, I didn't know you had anger issues. What's going on? Where did all this come from? But then things kind of patch up a little bit, but then it doesn't take long, and you bump each other again. And then another bump, and another bump, Right? And all of a sudden, all this stuff keeps coming out. And what happens? Well, she comes over here and she talks to, like, her sister, you know? And she's like, yeah, he keeps doing this. And her sister's like, what? What? You know, I didn't know he was like that. And then he comes over here and he's talking. I don't know who guys talk to, but he's over here. and, uh, And he's just, like, thinking to himself, you know, and he's just like, I... She makes me so mad. She makes me so mad when she does that stuff. And the reality is they keep bumping each other and bumping each other and bumping each other. And then what's, what's the problem? What, what are each one of them thinking? Well, the guy is looking at her and he's saying, hey, if you would quit bumping me, this stuff would stop coming out. It wouldn't come out like this. And then she is over here looking at him, and she's like, hey, if you would keep, if you would stop bumping me, I wouldn't act this way. I wouldn't overreact. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it like this. And, and they're both kind of blaming each other. But you want to know the secret? This is what we don't understand. This is, this is our problem. Is that the reason stuff keeps coming out of him? This is super profound. because that's what's in there. Okay? (laughs) Write this down. The reason why stuff keeps coming out of her is because that's what's in there. It was in there the whole time. 
It's always been in there. It's always been a part of her. It's always been a part of him. Right? And then he's blaming her and she's blaming him, but that's not, the, that's not actually reality. It's not, a, you know, they're playing the blame game, but that's not truth. The reality is, the reason why they react that way is because that is what's in there. And that's what's in within all of us. See, our problem is this, is that there is a gap between our experience about marriage and our expectations. There's a gap there. Right? They're not one and the same. See, what we experience in marriage and, and, and what we actually, uh, and our expectations of marriage, they don't live up to what we expected it to be like. And, and our problem is, the reason why this is true is because we, as individuals, you know, we always put ourselves first, or at least most of the time. We put ourselves first. All right, that's our culture. Our culture, we are, we are very individualistic. We're the individual rules. See, when we buy into something, we want it to match our expectations. We expect it to match our expectations. But this individual rules uh, thinking that our culture is constantly teaching us, it destroys marriage. It destroys marriage. It kills it. I mean, think about it. Think about your wedding day. All right, we talked about this a couple minutes ago. Think about your wedding day, right? What are we doing? Uh, we're making a promise to each other, right? Right? Okay. All right. Just making sure. It's like, man, we got some. We're going to be dealing with this today. Um, we're making a promise to each other. We are, what we aren't doing is we're not trying to strike a deal, okay? We're not standing up there, and she's not saying, hey, um, yeah, you know, I will. You know, I guess her hands are like this. Yeah, probably. Anyway, uh, you know, I promise to, to stick with this marriage thing as long as you always, you know, as long as you make over $100,000 and I get to buy the clothes that I want, right? Get the shampoo that I want. That was a heartbreaker for me. I was like, your shampoo's expensive. You know what I mean? Didn't know they made, what's in there, gold? You know, it's just like, what the heck? And conditioner and some, you know, whatever it all is. But, uh, but it's like, you know, I promise, I, I promise to stick with this if you, if you do this. You make 100000 And he's not standing over here going, hey, I promise, you know, you look so beautiful today. I promise to, to stick with you and do this marriage thing. And, and I, you know, I, I make this vow before you. But you have to look the same way like this every day. Right? It's not a, hey, you're not up there going, hey, I'll do this if you do that, and, and she counters with this, and he counters with that. That's not what we do. do. We are not striking a deal. What are we doing? We are making a promise, a commitment. It's called a vow. In fact, we like say things. This is kind of funny if we think about it. We say things, for better or for worse, in sickness or in health, for rich or for poor, you know, think about it. Why do we say yes to marriage if we think for worse is a possibility? But we do it. On your wedding day, you basically said out loud in front of everybody, hey, this thing, me and you, this could get bad. <laughs> this might get really, really rough. This could get way, way worse. But I'm in. See, that's God's view of marriage. And too many marriages have a husband 
that views himself as the supreme ruler of the house and uh, where everything he says goes. Right? And too many marriages have a wife that feel like she's the supreme ruler of, of the house and, and all, whatever she says goes. She gets to call the shots. And historically, if you put two rulers in a home together and they live, live with each other, it's probably going to start a war, right? right? And that's what we see in marriage. And, and our thinking is just, hey, you adjust to me or I'm out. It's very consumeristic because of our culture. But that is not how marriage is supposed to work. Paul actually tells us to have the opposite thinking, all right? Now, you married people, you ready for the smack, ready for the beatdown? I already got the beatdown earlier this week when I was preparing this, but you ready for your beatdown? I'll get beatdown. Okay, here we go. Um, this is what he says. First, he talks to wives. He addresses wives. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Actually, let's just pray. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Again, Kate's not here, so I could get away with that kind of stuff. Don't send an email either. If... Okay, all right, I get it insensitive, but he says, wives, submit to your husbands, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And this is, why, this is what he explains. He says, because the husbands, or the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Next. He says, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Now, some people claim that we water down the Bible. Let me just throw this out there, this last word, in everything. Okay, I was just talking to somebody on Friday, and they were asking me, hey, well, does she have to submit in this or, or this area of her life? This doesn't sound fair. This area, this area? And I'm like, is that in the in everything category? Because if it is, then, yeah. Now, wives, that doesn't mean if your husband tells you to do something that is immoral, that is against God, that you could just go ahead and do it. Obviously, that's, obviously God's first. But, uh, but this is what he's saying. Now, if you're a woman in here and you're like starting to take offense, and let me just say this, breathe. We're going to talk about this. All right, let's talk about what this actually means. Um, some of you, I totally get it. This verse bothers you. This bothers you. And maybe some of you, and my guess would be mostly men in here, you're like, I didn't know that was in there. I like that. All right, I'm going to, that's my new life verse. Get that thing memorized. All right, I'm guessing women, this isn't the verse that you have stitched on a pillow sitting on your couch. Okay, I get it. I get it. But I know some of you, you're sitting there thinking like, what? That's, that's, that doesn't sound fair. That's not equality. What happened to equality? I thought God views us as equals. Like, what's he doing here? What's, what's going on here? That can't be what it means. Now, let me explain a couple things. Number one, let me if I could get on this chair. Number one, we know that both men and women are created in the image of God. That's true. Right? They're created in the image of God. And we see that all the way back on creation. So that means that both men and women have equal access to God. Women, you don't have to go through a guy to get access to God. All right, you have direct access to God. And that also means that both are equally valued by God, meaning God places the same amount of worth on you as a woman as he does you as a man. Okay? But God clearly here gives men and women different roles in the family. God's saying, hey, I, I created you. 
I valued you equally. I decided to make you both in, in my image, but I made men and women different. And that was a mistake, and I gave you, God ordained, uh, he, he gave you different roles, gave us different roles, and he did that on purpose. It wasn't like a mistake. I mean, think about the creation story, right? God creates Adam first, and then he looked at Adam and he said, hey, that's pretty good. But then God looks at Adam and he says, uh, you know what, it is not good for him to be alone. And so God doesn't go over to Adam. He didn't go over to Adam and say, hey, Adam, um, what are you looking for in like a partner, like somebody who you could spend your life with, do life with, uh, you know, do life together, do this thing called family that I haven't yet started yet, but I'm going to show you. You know, wh- wh- what are you looking for? He doesn't go to Adam to get input. No, God looks at Adam and says, oh, I got it. I know, I know exactly what you need. And he creates Eve. And the Bible says he created him a Helper. Now, in our culture, in our society, we look at the word helper and we think inferior. But if that's, if that's what you're thinking, same thing with the word submit. If that's what you're thinking, let me just say this. That is your culture that you live in coming out. That is not God. Right, that's not what God views as. That, it, helper, submit, whatever, does not mean anything when it comes to I- inferiority. That's not what it means. It's by no means a negative thing. Actually, this same word is the word that God uses to describe himself as a helper to us. In the Old Testament, we see the same word used, uh, that God uses to describe himself when he's talking about him helping Israel. But this word does imply a leadership thing, and it does imply responsibility on Adam's part. See, we see when both Adam and Eve sinned, um, God doesn't come to the garden and say, hey, Eve, where are you? I know you sinned first. What's going on here? Where where, where are you at? Remember, they were both hiding because they knew what they had done. He doesn't say, hey, guys, I need to talk to you both. No. God comes down. And he says, Adam, where are you? See, Adam, the very first family of two, God views Adam as the leader, and God pins his um, responsibility of what happened on, on Adam. Sure, he questions Eve and talks to Eve later, but first he goes to Adam. See, men are supposed to step up and lead within the family. We see that all the way back in creation. Now, we are different. And if there's people out there that are like, no, we're not, we're not different yet. You need to go study some diagrams or something because we're definitely different. Um, but, uh, but God has made us different. He made us different on purpose. I mean, I mean, look, even physically a little bit, like God has made us, you know, God has made men physically stronger. And that's okay. That's not a... Kick, that's not a, you know, I'm not, not trying to put women down or anything like that. That's, I mean, think about it. That's the reason why um, when we are laying in bed at night, we hear a loud crash upstairs, I don't nudge Kate and say, hey, honey, can you go check on that? Someone might be breaking in the house. Take care of it. I don't do that. Usually I just roll over and hope for the best, right? Let's <laughs> be honest here. All right? Yeah. Sleep. Yes, I know. But let me just say this, wives, and I know this is hard, 
and I'm just the messenger. But wives, you need to allow your husband to lead. You need to allow him to lead. And I get that's, that's super hard. And, and, and when he does lead, you need to follow him. Now, I totally understand that he is not always going to lead the exact way you want him to. I get that. And I totally understand that he's not always going to lead the exact way God wants him to. But God has called, God has called wives to, to follow. Right? It will not be easy for him to lead if he has to constantly compete for leadership. All right, guys, we're, we're lazy. And a lot of times when that happens, I see this in marriages all the time, when he has to constantly compete for leadership, he quits. He quits. He quits in the marriage or quits the marriage altogether. He shouldn't have to constantly compete for that leadership. Now, husbands, let me just say this. The wives had their turn. Now it's, now it's yours, and it's hard on you too. The idea of leading probably isn't what you think. That doesn't mean you get to sit on the couch all day, boss your wife around, order her around, have her serve you drink. You know, that's not what leading is. Um, that doesn't mean you get to dominate or demean her in any way. God has a much different opinion on what leading the home actually means. In the next verse, in verse 25, he's, then he, he, uh, Paul, or, yeah, Paul addresses husbands. He says, husbands. Love your wives just as Christ. How are we supposed to love them? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Think about that for a second. I mean, you hear that, man? How does God expect you to exercise your unique leadership responsibilities that he gave you in the home? You need to sacrifice yourself for your wife and your kids. You need to be willing to lay down your own life. And I hear lots of guys, you know, talk to guys and it's like, well, I'll lay down my own life for them. Like, if they're, you know, I would, I would lay down my life in front of them. But you won't walk away from the TV for five minutes. You won't sacrifice, you might sacrifice your life, but you won't sacrifice five minutes of your time. Don't tell me that. All right, we as men, as, as husbands, need to sacrifice ourselves for our wife and our children. Now, Paul, he's writing to this church in Ephesus, right? And they know the gospel, and they've heard this before. And, and, and when Paul's writing this, you know, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've heard this story before. This is what you told us about what Jesus did for the church, and it didn't end up well for Jesus. He died. I don't know if I want to do that. And I think that's what Paul's trying to get at. Paul's like, hey, yeah, guys, husbands, it is going to cost you something. It, were, it will literally cost you something, right? That might mean that you're, not will, that you're willing to not sleep as much or that you're willing to not always get to do the thing that you want to do or buy the thing that you want to buy. Or maybe that just means you need to be willing to get up and help. Sacrificial love. Let's be honest. As men, as, as husbands, this love is super hard sometimes. Hard. Right? Sometimes I get home from work and, you know, and I have had a long day at work and I've been dealing with this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem. It's like the last thing I want to do is like 
talk about my day, right? And I'll go home, and I'm not saying this to, to brag by any means or give you a good example. This is a terrible example. This is how we should not act. But I'll come home, and I'll be honest. Sometimes I don't feel like talking to Kate. I don't feel like it. Sometimes I don't feel like playing with the kids. Sometimes all I want to do is I just want to sit on the couch and watch a game in peace. But I need to be willing to sacrifice my time, energy, and effort for my family. That's what's pulling. I totally understand, guys. That's what's pulling at all of us. See, I get, and some people are out there, well, no, Zach, you don't understand. You don't understand. I didn't sign up for this. Like, I didn't sign up for cancer. I didn't sign up for her extended family or her group of friends. I didn't sign up for this. She used to be, you don't understand, Zach, she used to be so, so different. She's not the same woman now as I originally married. See, some of you guys, what you need to understand is you need to learn to love your wife, not just who you hope she becomes someday. Well, if she would try harder in this, or she would stop doing that bad habit that just drives me crazy, or if she would lose weight, or if she would master this skill, or if she would change in that way, then I would truly love her. Notice what Paul uses as an example here. He's like, hey, men, you need to love your wives in a self-sacrificial way like Christ loved the church. He's saying, you need to sacrifice yourself. How does God treat us? He's, he doesn't come to us and say, hey, I'll love you, I'll sacrifice for you, I'll die for you, but you have to, you have to do all these, this list of stuff. You do this and we'll be good. He doesn't do that to us. He sacrificed himself for us out of love. So you guys, hear this. Men, don't love who your wife can be. Love who your wife is. Paul, he actually wraps up this section in this last verse, in verse 33. He says, nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his wife even as himself, okay? And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So you want to eliminate that gap between experience and expectations? Here's the answer. Women, or let me say this, not women in general. Wives, allow your husband to lead in the home. Allow him to lead and respect him. Men, you need to step up and lead. I talk to a lot of men where it's like they have already quit in their marriage and they refuse to step up. Wives are the ones doing all the work. They don't step up in any way. All right, guys, this is not how we are supposed to be. We are supposed to step up and lead in a self sacrificial, loving way, meaning we need to put our wives' needs first. Now, you want to undo anything that maybe God's doing in the heart of your spouse this morning? Get in the car and say something like, hope you heard what the pastor said. <laughs> Don't do that. Let me say this. You make a terrible Holy Spirit, okay? You're not good at it. You're bad at it. So don't do that, please, this morning. But let me say this. Stop worrying about trying to change the other person. Well, if I take the pressure off, she'll spend all her money. Or if I take all the pressure off, he's, he's going to live at work. I'll never get to see him. Stop worrying about trying to change the other person and look at God's instructions for you. See, relationships are hard. Parents, children, right? Employer, employee, husbands, 
wives. It's difficult. Submission is hard. We don't like to do that. Children, you need to obey your parents with a good attitude, right? Dads, it is your responsibility. Your, your kids' relationship with God, if they're under your roof, part of that is your responsibility. God says that's on you. Employees, you are supposed to work for your manager, supervisor, boss. doesn't matter if you like them or not. You're supposed to work for them as if you're working for God. Employers, bosses, managers, supervisors, you are to treat your employees right. And remember that all in all, God doesn't view any difference in us. Wives, you need to submit to your husbands and you need to respect them. Allow them to lead. Husbands, you need to step up and lead. And you need to do that in a self-sacrificial, loving way. Let's wrap up here and we'll get dismissed in a second. Let's pray real quick. God, we love you and we thank you for everything that you've given us. And God, you give us hard, I mean, this is hard stuff. It's stuff we don't like to hear. It's literally like a smack to our face. But God, that's what we need. And even though it's hard for us to do, and even though naturally we fight and resist it, God, we ask that you would help us to live this way in all three of these relationships. God, we got work to do, and there's things in our life that we need to change. And Lord, that the problem with us is not necessarily the other person. The problem is what's within us, what's inside of us. And God, we thank you for giving us the perfect example that you came and you died for us in a self-sacrificial way. You didn't give us a list of things for us to do. God, you love us. And we thank you for relationships. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.